it's hard to get good help these days. <laughs> and you call them a friend to do the announcements. And he feels it's his place to humble you. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. <laughs> Don't get all mushy on me, dog. <laughs> this morning we're in Genesis chapter 18. We'll be looking at the second half of the chapter, verses 16 through 33. Uh, in this part of the chapter, we have God revealing his purpose for choosing, for selecting Abraham, just a, a man out of the land of Ur. And then we see God working in this man's life to bring about in his life obedience to himself and into a godly lifestyle. For when Abraham was in Ur, he was just like the other people of that area. He was an idol worshiper. But God called him to himself, turned his life around, and it is so interesting to see God dealing and working with Abraham. And out of Abraham, of course, we have the Jewish people that come about. But uh, we also see that God has intended purposes for us believers. For we are the children of Abraham if we believe. That's you and I. Here we are, what, three, 3,500 years later from Abraham, still believing. But during the interaction between God and Abraham, we, something, we see something in God that's rather miraculous, in my opinion, and that is God allows Abraham, this man, to question him about fairness and justice. Abraham basically wants to know if God is a loving, good God. And God allows him to ask that question. So let's read Genesis chapter 18. Verse 16 through 33. Then the men arose from where, from there and looked towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I have known him in order that... He may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord and to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done all together according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. And then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood before the Lord, and Abraham came near and asked, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? 
Suppose that there were fifty righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within this city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed, now I, I who am but dust and ashes, have, made it, have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than fifty righteous. Would you destroy all the city for the lack of five? So he said, If I find forty-five, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, Suppose there should be forty found there. And he said, I will not do it for the sake of the forty. Then he said, Let the Lord not be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty should be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Indeed, now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty should be found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of twenty. Then he said, Let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak but once more. Suppose ten should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Abraham, he has these three guest travelers, one of which is none other than Jesus himself. They've eaten a meal together. They've had a time of visitation, and now Abraham is preparing uh, to walk with them for a ways as they leave. Abraham will, Abraham will send them off uh, simply being courteous to them, like we would walk somebody to the door when they've come to visit us. You know, you see them off in a courteous way. And Abraham walks with the Lord literally. And then we have God opening up Abraham's understanding. Verse 17 just as Jesus speaking, and he says, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? From our scripture reading in James, we heard that God declares Abraham a friend of God. Friendship with God has its perks. It has its benefits. In uh, John chapter 15, let me read you a couple verses there. John fifteen thirteen through 15. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus calls you and I he calls us friends. And then he says, if you'll simply do what I command you. Being a friend with God, being a friend with Jesus, gives us 
inside information. It gives us prior knowledge of events that are to come about. One being like the rapture of the church. We're told as Christians in his word about the rapture of the church, a future event. And just like Abraham, as he received information from Jesus about the soon destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is not good news. Because you see, Abraham just a few short years earlier went and rescued the people of Sodom and Gomorrah from the five kings of the north. He rescued his own nephew Lot. And this has just been a short while ago. And time has passed though. And now Sodom and Gomorrah have fell back into an extreme sinful lifestyle. And they've done it in quick order. In our men's study last Wednesday night, we were talking about how some of us older Christians, as when we were students in school, and many of us could remember when you opened the school day saying the Lord's Prayer and then the Pledge of Allegiance. That is unheard of today. Just in one lifetime, that is gone by the wayside. Today, prayer is not even allowed in school. In many schools, they will give a young pregnant student the power to kill her unborn child if she desires. What a change. This is done, unfortunately, thousands upon thousands of times each and every year where we have young unwed mothers and wed mothers having abortions. But in the school scene, sometimes a young pregnant mother-to-be can have an abortion and her parents never even know about it. The school system will do it. I have a point here, not just to point out how sinful we've become, but my point is Sodom and Gomorrah faced judgment because of their sin. Any society, even Christian America, faces God's judgment when our sin becomes so grievous. But I'm a little bit ahead of myself, and so let me back up and catch up. Jesus, the friend of Abraham, he's going to share his plans for the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah with Abraham. But first, let's look at God's assessment of the character of Abraham. Verse 18, Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Now, the blessing comes to all believers because we're the children of Abraham. The blessing is through the descendant of Abraham, Jesus. We have our salvation through Jesus Christ, a descendant of Abraham. Abraham. Abraham, 
And in verse 19, God declares his purpose in knowing and working in Abraham's life. You ever wonder what God's doing in your life? Abraham got to hear from God himself why God was taking him through the test of faith and all these different things that Abraham went through. And he says, I'm working in your life, Abraham, and I'm doing it for a reason. And it is so that his children, his household after him, that Abraham should command them to keep the way of the Lord and to do righteousness and justice. God says, the reason I have worked in you, Abraham, is for your children, that you would be a good father, that you would raise up your children in the right way. God's plan for Abraham is for him to raise his children and his descendants in a righteous way before God. As parents, as grandparents, as a church, a body of believers, we have the responsibility of raising up our little ones in the ways of the Lord. This happens to be one of the most crucial responsibilities we have as believers. Our Lord, he clearly commands Abraham and all believers were to be examples and were to be teaching our children the ways of the Lord. So if you help around here and you help in children's church, you're simply being obedient to God's command. Parents, if you're teaching your children about God, you're being obedient to God, for he calls all Christians to teach their children, to raise them up in righteousness and justice. When we look at the life of Abraham and Sarah, and we look at a basically a 25-year span before they have Isaac, we begin to understand the delays that God is bringing about developing Abraham and Sarah to be that parent, to be that person of faith so he can work in their life. And God is working in their life, building them into saints of faith, why? So they can be good parents. So they can be the faithful parents to raise up their children in righteousness. A few years back when my youngest son went off to college, and then he came home from the, for the summer, he felt that going to church with dad was his option. It took me almost a week for a Sunday to come about to destroy his option. <laughs> I simply looked at him and said, my house, my rules, and you're going to dad, with dad to church in the discussion. It wasn't up. He wasn't going to get to decide. He's in my house. Sorry. God has been at work in Abraham's life. And then it says, in order that, or for this reason, 
for the purpose of raising up believing children. Today, many parents are afraid to be a parent. You're not always going to be popular with your children with some of your decisions. But you know, I would rather offend my children for righteousness sake than to be a willy-nilly parent with no convictions. It is the will, it is the commandment of God, it is our first calling as a parent to raise our children up righteously. By the way, this same son of mine who dad forced to go to church now has four children. And I'm happy to say he takes his children to church every Sunday. And what a blessing. That's something for us to think about. God never suggested, Abraham, I want you to try to be a godly parent. He says, no, you be a godly parent. And I've worked in your life for this reason. And in verse 20, it changes pace a little bit. And it says, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great. In Genesis chapter 4, we have Cain killing Abel. And then we read a peculiar thing. And it says, the blood of Abel cries out to God. Grievous sins against our fellow man, sins like rape, sins like murder, etc. The victim of these sins, their cry goes up to God. That's sort of astonishing verse. And not only that, God hears the cry of these victims of violence. Sodom and Gomorrah, they have sinned grievously. But what was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, Ezekiel gives us insight to that. In Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49 through 50, it speaks of the sin of Sodom. Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. We see that pride, the fullness of food, luxurious lifestyles, idleness, and a non-caring attitude towards the poor and needy were the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. And usually we, when we think of Sodom and Gomorrah, we think of the uh, perversion that was there sexually, and that was there. But that wasn't what they were known for. They were known for pride, fullness of food, luxurious lifestyle, idleness, and they did not care about the poor and the needy. And you have to say to that, wow, a little misconception, perhaps. But, you know, God deals with sin. 
in the sin of sexual perversion, it always has a victim. There is no such thing as victimless crime or sin sexually. It, in fact, it even says when a man commits a sexual sin, he sins against his own flesh. So if you're not harming anyone, you're harming yourself. But the victims of Sodom and Gomorrah, their sins, their outcry have gone up to God. And now God's, he's going to tell Abraham that he will judge Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is great and it is very grievous. Peculiar that God will reveal to Abraham what he's going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah because Abraham, when we remember back, gathered up a small army to go and rescue the people of Sodom and Gomorrah and his nephew Lot. And he went up into the northern kingdoms and he took back all the captives that these five kings had took away. Now Abraham is told by God, that he is going down and he's going to destroy this same people that Abraham has rescued. The people of Sodom and Gomorrah, they, they only temporarily repented. They repented for a while, but then they fell right back in to their same old sins. And the moral decay and the perversion is once again rampant in Sodom and Gomorrah. Their sin, their backslidden state, demands action and judgment by a just God. Sometimes we forget because God is full of mercy and grace, but he is also a just God and he must judge sin. Abraham, it's a beautiful picture of Abraham. He draws near to God and he intercedes on behalf of this people that are so sinful. A people that his nephew Lot now dwells with, a people that Abraham will not dwell with, Abraham chose to be a sojourner. But Abraham, he hears of God's plan to destroy them, and Abraham asks God a question. And it happens to be the greatest question you could ever ask God. It is a question, I think, that all of humanity should Ask God. And that's in verse 23. God, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? There it is. Will you judge this universe and all its people everywhere? And will you, God, be fair? God, who created all that Abraham sees, touches, and feels, is allowing Abraham to ask, even challenge, his fairness. 
That is a God who is not intimidated or is not fearful of man whatsoever. You know, that is unheard of in all religions except Christianity. Only in Christianity do we have man, the creation, approaching his creator and asking questions, will you be fair? The Muslims, for instance, they have a great fear of their God, Allah. They're always wondering if they have forgiveness and if paradise truly awaits them. And one of the ways that they think they're secure is through martyrdom. And that's why so many Muslims will kill themselves because they think it assures them of paradise or of a right standing with God. And then you have the Hindus always seeking nirvana. My Christian friend, if you have a fear-based relationship with God, then I suggest to you, look at Abraham and his intercession and his questions to God. Abraham begins with, suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Now, Sodom was not a small town. We don't know exactly how many people were there, but 50 is not a lot of folks. <laughs> Would you spare the city of Sodom for 50 righteous? Verse 25, Abraham continues, Far be it from God to slay the righteous with the wicked. Abraham is telling God what kind of God he should be. That's nervy. <laughs> Shall not the judge of the earth do right? Wow. Now consider, God is allowing Abraham to question him. He didn't say, okay, Abraham, toast. You're going to be toast now for even asking that question. No, God allowed it. I think God even wanted Abraham to ask those questions. Why? Where we could read that God is fair and that God is just. Abraham is posing the question for every person that's ever believed in the Lord. Is God good? Is God fair? That follows with, does it really matter what kind of life that I would live? What are the benefits of living righteously before God? If it doesn't matter, why not live a life of sin and pleasure after the flesh? It does matter. <clears throat> As Christians, we cannot help but notice the world around us does not consider the benefits of living a righteous lifestyle. A moralistic Christian life is old-fashioned. It's archaic in our society today. I don't have to tell you folks. You see it. We live in a world where sin abounds. The philosophy of the world is, if it feels good, do it. 
or if it's not harming me, what do I care? We live in a society, we live in a world today where man is a lover of himself or simply put, we live where everyone is selfish around us or so it seems. Abraham, he shows great courage in his intercession. He has managed to no negotiate God down to ten. If there's ten righteous there in Sodom, God will not destroy them. And we hear the process, and it goes, and it's almost comical. We go, God, you know, Abraham goes 50, 45, 40, 30, 20. Okay, this is my last time, my last 10. Will you do it for 10? Now, Abraham knows that his nephew, his nephew's wife, and they have two kids. So Abraham knows there's at least four. And he's assumed maybe another six, <laughs> you know. And here's the good part about this whole negotiation process. You think Abraham is being so bold. He's, he's really dwindling down uh, the numbers. There's a ratio there that uh, only God knows what it is. But it comes down to this. Lot, his wife, and his two daughters. God will destroy Sodom, but he will take the four righteous people. And there's only four righteous people in this city. And God will take them out of the city before he destroys it. And we have these two angels sent to destroy Sodom, and they take these four by the hand, it says, and they lead them out of the city. What a good God we have. You cannot stress that enough. Our God is loving and kind. Our God is not willing that any should perish. Not even one righteous person with the wicked. That is a tremendous example of love and mercy from our God. The rapture of the church, which is spoken of in First Thessalonians, is also an example of God's love and mercy. The removal of Lot and his family from Sodom happens to be a picture, an example of the rapture. God not willing to destroy the righteous when he brings great wrath on the whole world because of its sin. The great tribulation, we know, is a time of God's judgment upon sinful man. And God will not judge, just like with Sodom and Gomorrah, the righteous with the wicked. So he takes the church, the righteous, out of this world. That is a great comfort. When we really understand that God is the same yesterday like he was with Abraham, today and forever. It's the same God that we worship, that Abraham worshiped. Our God is completely fair. 
What a blessing to be able to say that and it be true. God always provides a way of escape for believers who live righteously. What a blessing that our God has a plan, a good plan for each and every one of us. And if need be, he too will take us out of the way before he judges this world, and we call it the rapture. Let's, let me give you a stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, I'm so glad that when Abraham was bold enough to negotiate with you and intercede with you on behalf of Sodom, that you invited the questions. You wanted the world. You wanted Abraham. You wanted us to know that you are a fair and just and loving God, and you will not destroy the righteous with the wicked. We thank you for that, Lord. The benefits, the salvation we have in you is marvelous, Lord, and we thank you for it. Thank you for always providing a way of escape from your wrath and judgment for us who believe. What a blessing that is, Lord. And we thank you and praise you in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.